Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. Well, good morning. Again, I will uh, add my welcome and add my thanks to all those who work so hard in decorating this beautiful place, uh, both in here and out on the street. Thank you all. What a gift it is to celebrate Advent together. And I want to welcome those watching online as well. Thank you for worshiping with us. We'll be taking communion at the end of our service today. And just want to let you know here at the Baptist Church of Westchester, uh, we believe that this is not our table, but the Lord's table. And that means that it is open for all who are seeking to know Christ. So later on in the service, we'd invite you to participate in that as the deacons will be handing out the elements. And if you're watching online, please participate with us as well. You can gather some elements now to be prepared to receive communion together as a family. I didn't see anything in the scriptures that prohibited any kind of distance situation. So please participate with us as well. So what do you want for Christmas? My kids are fielding this question from family members a lot right now, and it's always changing. Uh, spoiler alert, we are not getting a kitten. I don't care what they ask for. Are you the kind of person who, if giving a gift, likes to select the gift from a list? Or be a little bit more creative, original, jazzy with your gift giving? What do you want for Christmas? Maybe two front teeth or a hippopotamus? Maybe you want world peace. Mariah Carey emerges from the snow every year this time to tell us all we really should want for Christmas is you. Today we begin this Advent season where we anticipate, we look, we wait for the gift of God that is God giving God's self to us. Christ coming to us. We reflect and we wait as the church this holy season, not just thinking about presents or lights or certainly the consumerism around us in our culture, but to celebrate that God came to be with us, Emmanuel. Christ, our Savior and our hope given to us, showing us who God is and what God is like even in the fragility of a human womb. We look, and we look inward, and we imagine what it is. Not just that we might want, but what we might need. Together we can express those deep longings within us and see if God might hear us and turn towards us. So we'll be looking at these four identifiers that are given to this coming king in the Hebrew Bible through the prophet Isaiah. Each Sunday of Advent, we'll take up a different title, and we'll turn it a bit in the Christmas lights. We'll see what this vision Isaiah had tells us about God and how our Savior turns out to be exactly what we need. These names are famously included in Handel's Messiah. We sang a little portion of that earlier in this service, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. What do we need this Christmas? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. We'll be reading verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied exultation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder for the yoke of their burden, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. You have broken as on the day of Midian for all the boots of the tramping warriors. And all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us. A son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great will be his authority, and there shall be endless peace. For the throne of David and his kingdom, he will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Believe that our Messiah is the answer to our deepest needs. As we read the prophet, we find a beautiful poem, to be sure, but but what is it about? What might Isaiah's first hearers have heard these seven, eight hundred years before Christ? What would they have understood this to be about? The first part of the book of Isaiah seems to have been written during a time of, of deep political unrest. We learn that at the start of Isaiah's ministry as a prophet, the stable king of Judah, Uzziah, has died. And now instability is the reality. The Assyrian Empire is strong and often cruel, and it is looming across the borders, perhaps already invading into the northern parts of the nation of Israel. There is tension and fear and unrest. There is an awareness that things are dark. And it is in this moment of darkness that Isaiah gives us this vision. In the darkness, a light breaks in. And that's our vision for Advent, that in all the waiting, we see hope. A light like a star beckoning us to come and see what God is up to. Like a new narrative of creation, God moving over the darkness and speaking forth Light, like a star breaking through the light pollution that beckons us to break away from our distractions and our tasks and our screens and our fears and look up and notice. Advent invites us to look, to watch, to hope. As you likely know, I grew up in a military family and... um, my mom and my stepdad got married. We moved overseas, and, and we were trying to take advantage of all the places that we could get to. And so we began traveling all the time, and, and my dad was used to traveling as a single person. 
And so we, he, he liked to just go into a town and figure it out, right? And so he brought my mom and me as a nine-year-old with this same tactic of travel. We would go into these places and just try to figure it out. I remember specifically this trip to an incredible town. But parking was super difficult. We finally found a spot. We ventured into the city and were exploring, and then it started to rain. And it got really dark, and I got really grumpy and hungry, as nine-year-olds tend to do. We went to this little hotel that was recommended to us to stay. This was before you could book things on the internet, you know? And, and we discovered that they didn't have any rooms. So we kept walking, looking for a hotel that would have a room available on this rainy, cold night. Each little hotel had no rooms. I can finally remember, like it was yesterday, what it felt for my little nine-year-old legs and my little nine-year-old heart to see a sign illuminated in one of those guest houses on the edge of the main town, and it said Zimmer Fry, or Room Available. The people walking in the darkness have seen a light. <laughs> Perhaps you've been walking in the darkness. Perhaps you are right now. Isaiah's audience certainly was in the dark. They were unsure. They were afraid. They were concerned. I mean, whatever king might come next, whatever king would rule them, might make bad deals with their neighbors, might abandon them, might lead to their ruin. They were afraid. As they saw the Assyrians taking over the north, would eventually they take over everybody would the line of David be extinguished? Would the people be done for? Isaiah says in verse 4 of chapter 9, for the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. That's a reference to when God used Gideon and this very tiny army to withstand a mighty one in the book of Judges. And then verse 5, it says, for all the boots of the tramping warriors. All the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. Isaiah is saying the darkness won't have the last word. The violence will end one day. The burden of injustice and oppression will snap. How? They must have wondered. When? What will this even look like? Verses 6 and 7, for a child has been born to us. A child, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders. He's named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The people feared that they would be squished. But Isaiah says, no, the kingly line will remain. And the king will come that will rule with justice and righteousness forever. It's what they need in this moment. They need hope. Now, scholars aren't sure exactly what Isaiah meant in his time. Most think he was likely referring to the current king's son, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah would go on to do some great things, but, but would eventually fail pretty dramatically. He would eventually fail in a way that led towards another enemy, Babylon, eventually wiping out the southern kingdom in many ways, much like Assyria did the north. 
And though we do not share that same context of the people of Jerusalem in the 8th century BCE, we find ourselves still in a world full of instability and fear, of insecurity and violence, of war and disaster and hatred. And what do we need this Christmas? As bombs are dropping and people are suffering. As we navigate the darkness of our times and even the darkness sometimes in our own lives, as we look around and see rises in things like anti-Semitism and Christian nationalism and ecological disaster and greed, as we navigate our own grief, our own fears, our own tendency towards isolation and harm, the New Testament writers, the early church would look back at this vision Isaiah had for this kind of king that humanity needs that God might provide, and they couldn't help but see Jesus all over it. That at Christmas time, we finally see the fulfillment of this vision, not just a glimpse in a moment, but eternally a God who became flesh in Jesus, a son given to us. Do you notice given to us? I love that. It's not a son for someone else, not an answer to someone else's need, not a gift to some people over there or out there, but a son for you and for me. Not a son for people who are more spiritual or have it all together, or who have no problems or no past or no complications. No, the son is given to us. And there is room available with this king for you, Zimmerfry. So the first name we see in Isaiah's prophecy is the Wonderful Counselor. And I want to break that down a little bit. What did Isaiah mean by Wonderful Counselor? When we hear the word wonderful today, we have to admit that that, that word has been a little bit devalued in our language. We throw that word around, right? Everything is wonderful. The hot chocolate I just had was wonderful, right? Have a wonderful night, we say, right? We see stores that set up shops this time of year called wonder shops as we buy lights and pre-lit trees and little plastic thingies. Is it really that wonder? <laughs> Even in our Christmas songs, right? What's that most wonderful time of the year song where Andy Williams croons, there'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, caroling out in the snow, there'll be scary ghost stories. Tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. Is that what we mean by wonder? Parties and marshmallows and ghost stories for some reason. <laughs> Those are good things. I'm not sure about the ghost stories, but the rest are good things. They point to something in us that longs for community and collect connection and delight. Yes, they're gifts from God, and they're pointing to something even deeper, true wonder. The Hebrew word that we translate as wonderful is, is more than that. It's more than any wonder shop in any store convincing us the best way to find light in the darkness is to just put it on a credit card. No. The word that shows up in the Hebrew Bible means something that is beyond our expectations, that is, that is beyond the normal. It's, it's used 15 times for human acts, but 
It's used way more often, 54 times to refer to the actions of God, actions that are supernatural. It's used to describe God's rescue of God's people out of slavery in Exodus. It's used all over, like in Psalm 107, verses 8 through 9, where it says, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wonderful works to humankind, for He satisfies the thirsty and the hungry he fills with good things. The king that we hope for is wonderful enough to do things beyond our expectations, to fix things we think are broken, fill hunger that seems insatiable, give water, as Jesus would say to the woman at the well, that causes us to never thirst again. Isaiah reminds us that we need wonderful intervention. That's what we need for Christmas. A king that would do things, and say things, and empower and lead in ways that spark wonder, are supernatural, challenge the way things are. I think about Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, teaches, teachings that challenge us, and stretch us and seem impossible. Love who? <laughs> Turn the other cheek, really? <laughs> we need wonderful intervention that might help us to imagine and dream and dare ourselves to believe that God can do things even when our cynical voices say it's hopeless. Do you think God might do something? Might use us to do something could with supernatural grace intervene in our lives and the world. Pastor James Garrett tells the story of a little girl dressed up as an angel for a Christmas pageant, and she was told to come down the center aisle in her performance, and she said, would you like me to walk or fly? <laughs> Do we believe that God may stretch us and use us and work wonders among us? may challenge us to live like we believe what we say. This is the image of a king who is supernatural, beyond us, wonderful, and also our counselor. We also need counsel. Now this word in the text means something like an advisor, a, a planner, someone who imparts wisdom. That the king we hope for is a Messiah who can help us navigate the darkness, navigate life, look inward and look outward to grasp reality around us. We need counsel. Research tells us we're seeing a consistent increase in people reaching out for professional counseling in our nation. And I'm grateful for the erosion of the stigma of getting help. I'm a huge proponent for mental health care and counseling and therapy. In fact, I, I go myself and meet regularly with a counselor. And it's been so helpful to have somebody that, to help me process my emotions and my past, to help me understand myself, to impart some wisdom, to help me with my own emotional health as I hope to help others. The latest data shows us that one in four American adults receive some form of mental health care. Clearly, we need counsel. One of the more humorous parts of going to counseling for me as, as a person that's, that's in the helping profession is that 
I find it really difficult to let go of my inclination and training to be the one who's helping all the time. I try to pastor my counselor sometimes. She asks these like deep and incredible questions and I feel like I need to be like, yes, no, no, you tell me about your relationship with your parents. Let me take notes. Tell me how you feel. I've done this a few times and my counselor has gently reminded me how I'm paying her so that I would talk about myself and seeking her counsel not to give it. Okay. But as I've pondered this, this title, Wonderful Counselor, this week, I keep going back to that experience because I'm not sure we grasp the implications here of this Christian reading of Isaiah's prophecy for us, this title of Wonderful Counselor. Do you see these words together? That the Wonderful One, Creator, Sustainer of the Universe, Inventor of Quantum Physics and the Color Teal and the Tyrannosaurus Rex, that Creator shares wisdom with us, but also gives us direction would give us counsel, would drop down to us and be wise and share with us that this wonderful counselor would receive our baggage and give us the tools to move forward. That this wonderful counselor would respond to our needs that may seem so small, but aren't. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, told his followers that the council would not stop. In fact, the very Spirit of God, the counselor, would be with us always. I believe God is always pursuing us, pursuing me, inviting me to move closer, to seek God out, invites me to share my concerns and my needs and my fears and my hopes and my talents with God And isn't that the story that we see throughout Scripture, that God responds to our needs. God responds to our call. God responds to our fears. God hears and acts and loves and rescues. God sees our need for wonder. God sees our need for hope. God sees our need for wisdom. And God offers God's very self. Professor Scott Housie says, we need someone to deliver us from all the bondage and violence and pain that infects this world. This is where Isaiah's prediction about God's Messiah being a wonderful counselor comes in. See, a counselor is, of course, someone who dispenses Advice, but in the wisdom tradition of the Bible. What you get from a counselor is not information in the book smart sense, but counsel in the way of life and how this world works and how you can best fit yourself into that. Even today, nobody goes to a counselor to get help with algebra. You don't go to a counselor to learn the same stuff you learned in school. You visit a counselor to talk about the shape of your life, the shape of the world, and how you can get your life and the world to gel. We need that. And the God of the universe invites us to this relationship with the wonderful counselor. What do you need for Christmas? Not want, need. We need God to intervene into our lives. For heaven and earth to collide for God's wonder 
and God's wisdom to invade the things that we do and the way that we see and the things that we think about each other and ourselves to invade our world and bring justice and peace and hope and love. And this Advent, we anticipate this coming Lord who comes to reign as a mighty king, not with a sword, but a rattle, not in armor, but in swaddling clothes, not trampling with blood-soaked boots, but nursing at the breast of a young mother. Isn't that like our God? To show up, to draw close in the ordinary, in the simple, in the profound. Of course, that same King, wonderful counselor, would invite us to encounter God at a table. <laughs> that in just normal bread and wine, or in our case, gluten-free bread and grape juice, <laughs> we might meet God and each other. An invitation for all to gather at the table, to know and to celebrate and to look for our wonderful counselor. So we'll turn and we'll approach this table together reflecting on our need for wisdom, reflecting on our need for counsel, looking for the light of hope. But whatever you're dealing with today, whatever you're stressed about, afraid of, what weighs heavy on you, whatever you're carrying, know as you approach this table, there is always room for you. There is always room for more. Our wonderful counselor is inviting you. Come and meet the Lord. Know that God is for you and seeking you. There is room at the table. Zimmer fry. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship and look towards what we need. And thank you for the words of Isaiah. As they spoke to the ancient people of Judah and now speak to us, that we can imagine, that we can see the king that we need. And thank you, God, for being that very king. Lord, as we approach this table to take communion together, help us to reflect on your gift of life and sacrifice for each of us. Lord, we thank you for the hope that you break into the world with. May you animate us with it. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.